welcome to Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. This episode may contain discussions or descriptions of miscarriage that some, some of our listeners may find difficult. If you feel affected, please turn off now. This month's book club pick is The Life of the Mind by Christine Smallwood. It's a stunning debut and we would like to give you a little taste by reading the blurb to you today. An adjunct professor of English in New York with no hope of finding a permanent position, Dorothy is stuck, unable to envision the future or cut ties with the past. What did you call it, she asks herself, when her life stopped developing but it didn't end. A discomforting glimpse into the head of a brilliant woman on the edge, the life of the mind is a piercingly intelligent and darkly humorous novel about endings of youth, of professional aspiration, of possibility, of the illusion that our minds can ever free us from the tyranny of our bodies. Christine Smallwood is a critic and journalist from Brooklyn. She has worked as an editor for The Nation, as a contributing editor at Harper's Magazine, and has co-edited and published four issues of literary magazine The Crier. Her work has been published by The New Yorker, The Paris Review, N Plus One and Vice. She earned a PhD in English at Columbia University and is a fellow at the New York Institute for the Humanities. The Life of the Mind is her debut novel and we're so excited to be chatting with her today. Christine, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> We're so ha- happy to have you. Um, just a quick one for our listeners. We would like to apologise that both me and Lydia have a cold. So we're sorry for the way our voices sound today, but... My voice is about 14 octaves too low. <laughs> <laughs> I like the base level. But yeah, what we like to start with um, is a little icebreaker. And it's always the question that I ask everyone I meet. We need to know. Uh, which- which is what are you currently reading? That's a that's a good question. Um, I'm reviewing the uh, new biography of Shirley Hazard, so I'm mm. currently reading a lot of Shirley Hazard. Amazing. Yeah. Any enjoying yeah. it? Yeah, I am enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been reading some of the stories and the novels and blah blah blah. So that's what I'm mostly reading right now. Amazing. And I'm reading the third volume of Deborah Levy's Real Estate. <gasps> Amazing. Oh, sorry. The third, the third volume of the trilogy, which is called Real which Estate. Which is Real Estate. Yeah. Oh, I've only yeah. read the first one. How yeah. how is um the third one? I mean, I I like all of them. I think yeah. the first one will turn out to be my favorite in the end. Okay. Um, but I, I would recommend all of them. Yeah, I've got yeah. the cost of living sat on my shelf. I'm really excited to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved. Is it? Th- it's things I don't want to know. I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Things I, yeah. I don't I re- want to know. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. So should we get into the the book? Yeah. yeah. We were obviously really blown away by the book. Um it's an incredible debut. So congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> um Thank you. but we wanted to know and I'm sure our listeners would love to know um what inspired the novel and how did you come to writing it? So the novel grew out of a short story. So I had um and you know usually I find writing um Usually I find beginning something very, very difficult. So mm-hmm. this is the only time in my writing life that I've ever just kind of sat down and written a story uh, that just kind of felt like it came out all at once. And so I kind of wrote um, what is now like the first 12 or 14 pages of the novel. 
And I wrote that in 2015. And it just kind of like, I just kind of like sat down and like wrote this story and I didn't really understand where it came from. And then I published it as a story. And I sort of thought that that was the end of it. And I was trying to write a collection of short stories. And my collection of short stories was very bad. And the stories were not very good. And um, it just like wasn't really working as a form for me at that time. And so um, but so many people had told me that they liked this story when it was published. And people had said that they felt like it was part of a novel or it was somehow unfinished. And at the time, I was really like offended by that. And I was like, oh, you think a story about a miscarriage is unfinished? You know, well, that's, <laughs> that's the whole point, buddy. But um, eventually, I just felt like um, maybe like other people could see something I couldn't. And so I went back and just decided to kind of expand it. But all of the components of the story, the miscarriage and the adjuncting and the two therapists, that all just kind of like came in together. Um, and mm-hmm. then it was very difficult to expand it. And uh, there was like very abject writing process, but at least I kind of knew what I was dealing with, like what the themes were. How long was the writing process? When I went back to it, there was like a period in between, like when I wrote the story and then when I went yeah, back to yeah. it, when I went back to it, it was about a year and a half until it was done. But there was like a, I would say like a year and a half in between. Wow. I find that fascinating. Yeah, me too. I, I really love because we've spoken to a few authors and a lot of and uh, a lot of them have said that their novels have come from short stories. Yeah, quite a few actually. Yeah, and, and find it fascinating that sometimes you can't see that as the writer, you can't see that it is meant to be a novel, and until everyone starts telling you that it is. <laughs> I could have read yeah. more from her brain. I the the protagonist, like I adored. And oh, wanted to be, I wanted to be inside her brain for longer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that people either feel that way or they're like, oh my God, I hate this woman so much. <laughs> like, I actually can't even finish it because she's so annoying. So I think you either, it's kind of like, I, I knew that it would either, you would either like really like this or you would really not like it. No, I, I loved her. And I think, you know, she was so complex and there was so many elements to her character that were just so kind of fascinating and a lot of things that you don't, always get to see yeah you don't get to see all these sides of a person and just really love being inside her head for a bit (laughs) the novel does explore miscarriage uh, quite unashamedly and in quite graphic detail um which I found refreshing the take on it Mm -hmm. and particularly um there's a lot of sort of um descriptions of sanitary products and the amount of blood and what the blood looks like and mm-hmm. like the texture the and texture yeah, yeah. The, you know even the taste at one point yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was just it was so wonderfully done mm-hmm. definitely done um but my question is what was your decision making process in terms of I'm going to tackle this subject which I think a lot of people would deem as a taboo subject Mm -hmm. or a subject that they wouldn't go anywhere near because of the nature of it. What kind of gravitated you towards that? I mean, I think miscarriage is a funny thing because it's so common Mm -hmm. and it does seem like it's being written and talked about a lot more. And like, I'll see it in like, um, like a movie, like that movie, The Worst Person in the World, like there's a miscarriage in that movie. Sorry for spoiling. But like, it just like, I feel like it's starting to be, I'm starting to see it more. And maybe that has to do with whose stories are being told or I don't know. That's not a good example because I think that movie was not written by a woman. But my my point is just that I, I'm noticing more that it's not 
um, I think it, it was a kind of subject that was maybe hiding in plain sight for a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now it's starting to come out more. And um, yeah, I, I guess I just had this feeling that I was unresolved about it. I had had a miscarriage and like, you know, and I just didn't really find that experience and the way I experienced it represented anywhere. And so yeah. it felt like for me, like wanting to kind of understand it more or, or think through it more and feeling that like the idea of it as like a life that had died or a soul that had died that should be grieved didn't feel right, but yet it didn't feel like nothing had happened. And so trying to understand like what the nature of the something is and like what the nature of your attachment to that thing or fantasy is. I did, I mean, it was like in terms of the sort of like gnarly details, I don't think I realized at the time, like how gnarly they would be perceived as like, I just got very interested in like, really like being very like realist or like trying to mm-hmm. really like capture the detail of it. And then that just kind of like forced me to like, like I wanted to be precise, but then yeah. I think when I was done, I was like, oh, it's actually kind of excessive, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I didn't, I, I didn't like set out to be like, how can I be like really like excessive and grotesque? Like that yeah. wasn't. I think, a- I think it, it definitely didn't, does not come across as excessive to me. No, I feel like it feels yeah. very just real, like yeah. just like wiping yourself on the toilet, yeah, and seeing blood, <laughs> like. Like women do that all yeah. the time. Yeah. We do every that. day. Yeah. It's like a natural part of our lives. Yeah. All the time. It's what we come into contact with all of the time. And yeah. it's so every day. But it's so it's it's a strange thing because when you read it, you go, Oh, that's shocking. But I do that every day. Yeah. Like I do that all of the time. I have blood and I see it and it you know, and why is that so shocking? I, I think you know? I think the yeah. thing is, is that, you know, we've been taught by society that periods and, you know, anything to do with female kind of reproductive health is dirty. is taboo and dirty. And, you know, we've kind of, you know, been taught that and it's, it's almost like it's offensive to men. You know, I've had, you know boys that I was involved with when I was younger and and they you know the the even mention of a period they'd be like oh what are you talking about that for like you know it was it was kind of too much for them um so I think you know just seeing it in the book and it being such a, a visceral thing um you're like well yeah like we do experience these things all the time mm-hmm. um you know and it's only a male audience that we've ever been kind of wary of offending I guess yeah Yeah, and they really like structure how our our time is is kept you know and like that's one of the things that the book is trying to do so in every chapter of the book um like the time moves in the book based on what's happening with the body so she's Mm -hmm. experienced like technically the the miscarriage occurs before the book begins and she's kind of dealing with this prolonged like bleeding and discharge and like that's kind of what's like getting under her skin and like irritating her is the kind of sense that this thing that is ended won't end Mm -hmm. and um and you know like I think many of us may feel that way about that our periods you know or like our menstrual cycle or whatever and it's just like wait what day are we on like I thought this ended (laughs) and now it's back and like yeah but um there's like the sense that like our bodies kind of keep track of time in this way is interesting to me and I think makes the kind of like cis female body different than the male body 
Yeah, and I think Absolutely. I, I loved how it was this period of 10 days throughout the, the novel, it was repeated, you know, it was 10 days of bleeding, it's 10 days. Yeah. And then how the time around her shifts and it's mm-hmm. not 10 days. And I loved the bit where she was talking about the um the average mm. and how she has to bleed longer so that the average is less. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, yeah, I get that. Like, yeah. Some people are going to bleed longer. Yeah. I I thought that was really clever. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because we are told that things or experiences are supposed to be like, right, averaged out in some Mm -hmm. way, but that doesn't then map onto who we are. No. No. Yeah. So a question I wanted to ask, kind of following on from that, your novel, now I'm a little confused about publication dates because obviously in the book it says 2021, um, Mm -hmm. but it, it was published this year this cover was published this year but I think there's another paperback cover version that was also published in the UK a few months ago so so it came out it came out in the US in March 2021 right and then it came out in the UK in October of 2021 okay and then it came out with a different cover just like a month ago right okay or two months ago something like that Perfect. yeah so it's like the, yeah. the b cover there's like an a cover and a b cover and the, ah. the uk is like a little bit different yeah i don't we but it's still europa ah. yeah yeah still europa yeah um yeah, still europa. oh i love both covers um i really loved the the portrait it was like kind of almost a portrait wasn't it I'm physically mm-hmm. attached to- so following on sorry from um the what we were just speaking about um so obviously your novel was published um in 2021 for the first time mm-hmm. and um you know that was kind of before the horrendous kind of outcome of Roe v Wade yes. um which felt kind of particularly poignant you know when I was reading the novel which obviously explores miscarriage and abortion and choice and autonomy surrounding these themes um but do you think if you were to write the novel now there would be things you would change or maybe write differently you know within that context yeah it's funny it's like it lands so differently now and it's it's definitely there's like a before the mm-hmm. Roe v Wade and then or the Roe v Wade overturning and then there's an after so in, in my book there's Dorothy um thinks a lot about how her miscarriage is similar to an abortion in that mm-hmm. she takes the same medication to trigger the um, contractions that you would take yeah. for an at-home medication abortion, but it's different in this one crucial way, which is like, she didn't get to choose to do it. Yeah. And then that, that is kind of doubled with an at-home medication abortion that occurs in the book. Um, and that abortion is, is very casual. It's like very, the, the woman who has it is very casual about it and is very like matter of fact. And um, it's not a, you know, a trauma for her in any way. And it's very easy to do, right? There's nothing in the book about it being difficult to yeah. obtain yeah. or difficult to do. And um, I have thought a bit about like what it would mean to write those scenes now. My book mm-hmm. is set in New York, yeah. but I think that, so like, I think that the characters would still have access to those things, but I think that they would be obsessed with talking about what if they did it you know, and they would probably be like wanting to like give money to, you know, like anti-forced birth campaigns and Mm, like they might be making phone calls. Like I think like they would be more activated politically than they are. Like there's definitely something sort of like quaintly complacent about their (laughs) reproductive politics, like, and like 
privileged, not just in the sense of like race and class, but in the sort of belief that the naive belief they have that these options will continue to be available to them. Mm. Yeah, it's just it is like it feels like a totally different moment in history. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Um, yeah. but it's this the thing of the um, I don't know what you would describe it as, like the kind of recurring um thing where she envisions these like raft children. Yeah. And and that's kind of more of a nod towards like a, a, the apocalypse or something, isn't it? So yeah, I just, it, that did make me consider things like privilege and, you know, where she was kind of politically at and yeah, kind of her thoughts on, on the world, like around her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. I mean, she's definitely like a character of, I mean, she has tons of white privilege, like first of yeah. all. And then, and she definitely has like, you know, I don't want to say like economic comfort but she's mm. not like poor you know and like the book it tries to be pretty clear about that and like she definitely understands that about herself that she has a kind of stability and like baseline like she's not going to be homeless like those these aren't those that's not her situation and like in terms of the adjuncting you know in the u.s you hear horror stories about adjuncts who are on food stamps like adjuncts who are living in their cars and like that's absolutely not dorothy's situation mm-hmm. um and but i think that she is you know dealing with whatever the the psychological maladies that we all are dealing with at this moment in history, you know, and the sense of climate catastrophe as, you know, both looming, but also really already here. You know, there's a conversation she and her boyfriend have about like the wildfires, you know, and like the people like burning to death in their cars. Like, it's like, that's just like happening right now. You know, Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, Mm. we live in hell. It's so crazy. Um, (laughs) And so I think that like, she is, I think she's trying to kind of work out what the privilege is exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. But, so with, within, you know, everything that we've just spoken about, like, do you feel, because we were kind of talking about this, we were curious, like, do you feel a certain type of pressure as a American female author to, I don't know, frame these things in a certain way? You know, do you, do you feel a certain kind of pressure when writing about these subjects? I mean, I didn't feel any pressure when writing because I, when I was writing, I really just like didn't think people would read the book. And so I tried to like <laughs> put myself in a kind of, it, it, I think, I think a lot of people when they're writing do that and they're kind of surprised at the end and they're like oh it's out there you (laughs) how did how did you get a copy Um, so you kind of like pretend that um you know you can kind of say whatever you like I think if you don't trick yourself in that way you will just find it impossible to write I mean I I felt that like leaning into ambiguity was important to me and so like there's Mm -hmm. a part of the book when she is talking about like pro-choice politics and she Mm -hmm. my character like grew up very religious and so she feels a little alienated from some of the like rhetoric around pro-choice stuff like particularly related to like um she talks a lot about like sonogram pictures and how like yeah she grew up going to like pro-life marches and this was true for me like this is autobiographical where people would like Mm -hmm. hold up pictures of you know fetuses in like sonogram pictures and be like look it looks like a baby it's a baby and then you become an adult and you're like liberal pro-choice friends like put their sonogram photo on the refrigerator or post it on social media and you're like I don't understand like like, I don't this doesn't make sense and so I think that like but I feel like that's like an ambiguity that isn't necessarily often expressed that people feel like in order to be perceived as pro-choice they have to like not deal with any of the ambiguity about like, what does it mean to be attached to your, you know, fetus or like, you know, as soon as people are pregnant and they want to be pregnant, they're like, it's a baby, you know, it's like, <laughs> and um, it's like, what is it? you like, I just like, it's, 
anyway, that was something I was interested in. I think it's important to deal with these ambiguities and not yes, be afraid yeah. of um, being on the wrong side of something by ex- by exploring them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so important to explore those those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I loved um, most about the novel was how you were able to emphasize the kind of minutiae of life mm-hmm. um, in in really inventive and lovely ways. And I've got I'm going to embarrass you now because I'm going to read it out. Um, <clears throat> Are you okay reading? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just mean with your throat. <laughs> you stop. Your voice just gives up. <laughs> the $40 hand soap smelled like cedar. Dorothy hoped her casket would smell this good. She washed her hands twice and took a black plastic comb from her bag and combed her hair. Brown hairs filled the sink, fluffy and rising. She swirled them together with a little water, then swirled the wet matted hair mass over her hair that had fallen on the floor and threw it all away. One recalcitrant strand floated up and worked its way down the side of the trash can. Dorothy wrapped it tight around her finger and pushed the coil off. She used a square of toilet paper to tamp down the trash and left it there, like a blanket for the hairball. I mean, I mean, (laughs) it's just like, you know what? I could listen to her describe her hair and... (laughs) All day, I could read pages and pages of it. Like it sounds hysterical, but I'm like, yes, give me more. Can I also but just isn't say, that like so much of your day, you know, like yes. pulling yes. hair yes. out of your own head, just like constantly, I constantly. Why is it not? Oh, feet when you're in the shower, when you're in the shower and it's stuck to you everywhere. (laughs) You're pulling it off yourself. (laughs) I know. But like, to have that in the novel, to have that, it just makes you feel so connected to it. Mm -hmm. And again, like we were talking about the sanitary products and the the honesty and the the detail of those. And again, it just, it, it constantly brings us back to the reality of the situation mm-hmm. and almost the mundanity of the situation yeah. in ways. Um, so my question. <laughs> well, that, there we go. <laughs> I have got, I have got a point. Um, kind of how, how do you choose what to focus on in terms of like, this is a moment I want to elaborate on? That's such a good question. I, I don't really know. <laughs> that's like I've never really thought. that's such a good question I guess like I mean I'll say to sort of sideways answer your question I'll say that I'm like a very ruthless cutter like um of of my own work <laughs> not of myself yeah. like of um you know like I will I will um just like edit like like I will make big cuts you know like yeah. as I'm going and so I and I get bored kind of easily so if something if I'm like reading something for the millionth time and I'm like oh like no I will just take it out and so for whatever reason the things that remain are things that continue to like hold my attention or interest and in the in the passage you just read there is a kind of like hair comes up a lot throughout the book so I probably felt that like there was some like something like resonant about having it there because it had occurred in the first section as well Mm. I also think that um you will never hear an extract of your book read so beautifully it's wonderful (laughs) Thank you so much. I, so I, your voice is ready to come up. Lusky tones. Yeah, no, it's, right? Yeah. 
yeah 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 little something (laughs) we'll roll with that (laughs) so uh, I hate when I'm laughing and then I have to go to a dark subject it sounds like I'm laughing at that and I'm not so obviously whilst um miscarriage is experienced by the couple as a whole albeit in vastly different ways Roger's perspective is kind of almost hidden from the reader we just wanted to know like is there a reason that you wanted to kind of omit his experience I guess yeah I mean I think that it just it's a really fair good question I think that I just wanted to go so deeply into this one person's Mm -hmm. mind and I think that she's in um a state where she's not really able to feel connected to other people Mm -hmm. and so I think like she's not really able to imagine his experience and so like the book isn't really able to imagine that experience either I mean I think that one of the results of it and this is something that my husband actually noticed before I did was that the book is almost all women so like Raj is there in a kind of like perfunctory way one might mm-hmm. one might say like and um and then like it's her friend it's her former mentor it's her mother it's her mother's adopted daughter mentee <laughs> it's her two therapists it's just like this like all of these women yeah. are in the book and that wasn't actually something that I thought about ahead of time but when I read it as a whole when it was finished I was like oh that makes sense mm. yeah. this is this is really a book about like women relating to yeah. other women and Dorothy kind of like seeking and withholding and you know attempting to get care and then denying care from other women it's mm. like for whatever reason the the male partner isn't the person that she wants to get that from yeah yeah I think that that leads straight on to my question about uh, female friendships Absolutely, yeah. and how mm. how they are explored throughout the novel particularly that of Dorothy and Gabby and I just wanted you really to just elaborate a little bit more on on how you how you came to write their relationship um and um the process of writing their relationship really so Dorothy has this best friend called Gabby we're told that they're best friends and I think that that's true like I I, I think some people have read the book and say like oh this is a horrible friendship it's not a real friendship and I I'm actually in my position and like you know you never have your own interpretation and my position is like no these people are best friends yeah and um but one of them Dorothy has feels very like distant and removed and is like having a hard time mm-hmm. and that hard time is like ricocheting through this friendship so Gabby is a frustrating friend for Dorothy Mm. I think we all know what it's like to have like a close friend that we both like love and maybe kind of hate at Mm. the same time you know like Gabby is very (laughs) 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 my host just exchanged an amazing (laughs) glance I wish everyone could see it Um, Gabby is Gabby is very wealthy Gabby has inherited wealth Right. And so the book kind of is setting up a comparison between Dorothy's like relative privilege and Gabby's like extreme privilege. Um, so Gabby has this inherited wealth. She has a baby. She is a kind of professional dilettante and she's found a lot of like identity in motherhood. And so I think that you're, you're meant to see there's maybe these two people are drifting apart, like in a more profound way, or maybe it's just that like Dorothy not telling this thing to Gabby Mm -hmm. is creating a rift. Maybe, I mean, I think one of the ways that I've sort of understood Dorothy's character is that she's seeking privacy and she's trying to understand like how she can get privacy and, you know, like not telling people something is one of the main ways that you get privacy, (laughs) you know, like literally what does it mean to keep something private? And like, is she hurting herself or is she actually Mm -hmm. trying to like have boundaries or self-definition, not wanting to give this away to everyone, but wanting to like hold on to it. It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea of like a keeping, right. She's like keeping it to herself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, So the friendship is like meant to be kind of like funny, like they have some like good banter and they're clearly like very comfortable with each other, but there's also all this like misunderstanding. And yeah, I think, I think the way that I would describe them, uh, the way that for me, they came across as best friends was when um, Gabby and Dorothy were talking, texting. And um, she says, I think I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> she's like, I'm hyperventilating. She's like, what does hyperventilating feel like? And Dorothy's like, I think it's just breathing really fast. <laughs> like, and she's like, yeah. She's not like, why hyperventilating? Or, you know, like, breathe. It's just like, yeah, we're better you are. Yeah. <laughs> I I loved their exchanges over text. I thought they were hilarious. Yeah. I think they were one of my favorite bits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how so many of our friendships take place now is these like sort of endless conversations that have like kind of no beginning, but also no end. And you're always kind of yeah. in and out of them. And they're like distracting, but they're also really important. And like, I think, you know, it's hard, it's hard to manage them. And like, I do think, you know, at the end of the book, Dorothy tries to be a good friend to Gabby and like it's sort of like her attempt to like have intimacy like she she does want to have intimacy with Gabby she wants to be there like she wants to be a good friend but like she's just having a really hard time and she just like doesn't really know how to talk about this thing that she's been experiencing and she doesn't feel like she can talk about it with anyone so it's it's she definitely didn't want to speak to to Gabby about it it's not something no no. but I mean she did I don't like she doesn't talk to anyone about it you know like I think she just doesn't really know she doesn't really know how because I'm always curious when characters kind of hold back from revealing something to someone I always wonder if it's like you know they definitely don't want to say anything or whether it's like they really wish they could but then hold back oh I see what I mean yeah Yeah. I think it's both I think it's always both I think you always kind of like both want to say it and don't want to say it you know Mm. or are hoping that someone will guess but also don't want them to ever know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like Dorothy yeah. was she was trying to control her experience when and something like miscarriage, you can't control any of it. Mm. And yeah. so I feel like that that was part of it. Like I can control who I speak to, I can control who I tell because I haven't got any control over what's happening to me. Mm. Um, I think that's really right, actually. That makes I really I'm very persuaded by that. <laughs> yeah so another question we want to ask um so obviously Dorothy is an English professor um and but it's it's called I I learned this today that it's an adjunct doesn't mean is it adjunct is that how you say it um it doesn't mean the same as an English professor it's almost is it almost like a temp English professor yeah so this is a like I don't think the UK has this right no, and so there's no. something about the book that like doesn't it's like kind of a foreign concept we, we call it I a supply teacher don't we is that yeah, the same thing a, supplier, a substitute a supply yeah supply teacher yeah supply, supply. teacher <laughs> um so and, and so in the U.S. Like there's um, tenure track jobs. And basically, if you get a tenure track job over time, the idea is that you will have a permanent position that you basically can't be fired from. Right. And so the academic marketplace is sort of set up for people to compete to get these tenure track positions. And then there are adjunct positions, which are on contracts that can be temporary and may or may not be renewed. So the idea is that Dorothy is just sort of like teaching these classes for which she is underpaid. She doesn't get health benefits. So she's like a freelance professor, basically. Um, And so like, and she doesn't know, you know, like how long you can't really support yourself forever 
doing that. And so her question is kind of like, at what point am I going to just leave this entire career and do Mm. something different? Yeah. And she's, she's at that kind of, um, I I did listen to you on another podcast today um, where you were speaking about the fact that she's, you know, she's at that age in life where you kind of expect to have everything kind of stereotypically maybe you know society's expectations expect that by this specific age you're going to have x y and z complete um and she kind of doesn't have that and Mm -hmm. I guess like you were saying about miscarriage means you know it's it's the control being kind of taken away from you we don't have any control around that I I think the element control of control is almost stripped away from her in a lot of different elements in her life Mm -hmm. isn't it um which I found really interesting and I really liked that you explored that. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't really a question in that. It was just no. Just it's, it's interesting though. I'm, I'm really intrigued at the differences between the like UK and US yeah. academic situations and mm-hmm. how this whole kind of category of worker doesn't really exist in the same way. And so my actual question um, was with her being an English professor, you know, she clearly has this huge passion for literature, which definitely comes through throughout the book. And there are a lot of nods to famous works of literature. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh, nods to Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Uh, there's the the Ancient Mariner, yeah, ancient. and mm-hmm. we were just curious, like, why did you choose these works specifically? Mm-hmm. Was was there a reason? Oh, it's funny. Um, I don't know if there was a reason. I mean, I think that probably the 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 truest answer is just that like those are things that like I was interested in. So Dorothy thinks a lot about the Magic Mountain, and yeah. like I was reading the Magic Mountain. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm also totally thinking about the Magic. Mountain. And actually, there's a kind of way in which the book is like secretly talking back to the Magic Mountain. So like there's like the scene with the sonogram is sort of Mm -hmm. like a comment on the scene in the Magic Mountain when Hans Kostorp gets his hand x-rayed. And then the karaoke scene in my book is a sort of like comment on the gramophone scene in the Magic Mountain. So like, I think that because I am like a critic, I often will like, I often do see life through art or through literature and so I did that for Dorothy as well Um, I mean an interesting thing about Dorothy is like you would she seems like she should be more engaged with like feminist literature but she's not you know like she's talking about like Thomas Mann and Kafka and like Coleridge and there's something about that that I I kind of wondered if people would read this book and be like something would seem fishy to them about that but then I thought maybe it's kind of interesting maybe that's one of her problems like maybe she needs to read more works by women I don't know (laughs) you know like (laughs) but I just like at a certain point you just have to kind of stop changing things too in a book and you're just like this is the this is the idiosyncratic character I wrote and you know she's not like a poster child for something yeah we're not all you know women aren't all perfect feminists and and I and I really respect you know the how many contemporary fiction writers female authors are writing these messy complex women and how we aren't all like we aren't perfect and we aren't perfect right. feminists right. <laughs> you know even like we like to think that yeah very perfect. <laughs> of course <laughs> um, <laughs> even though you know we like to believe that we're kind of doing the work uh, even right. though I really hate that phrase but you know we all like to think that we're kind of you know doing our research and educating ourselves and you know being doing activism in some yeah. form 
you know we're not ticking every box we are not the perfect person right. and I think um it's great that you you explored all these issues within feminism whilst also showing this character that's actually like not politically engaged with those types yeah. of things yeah yeah, yeah um, and like I love that Kafka story that Dorothy is thinking about in the beginning of the book the investigations of a dog it's just it's like a weird story like I hope that <laughs> people who read my book go back to that story and are like what the fuck is going on I want to read that now. I love as well how she she just completely forgets the actual plots of books, and so every time she goes to reteach them. Oh, I loved that. I need to read it again. She she like gets the whole experience again. Yeah. And I was like, I love that fact. She's just like she's a professor, but she's still like I can't remember anything that happened. Right. That's definitely how my brain works. I'm like, oh, they got married at the end. <laughs> I love that. So again, talking about like the themes of the book, um, there is like I had thought quite a strong theological um threat to the novel. And I was just wondering, what do you what kind of role do you think that religion plays in Dorothy's life and in the novel itself? I mean, I think that Dorothy is experiencing so like what she's experiencing intellectually in the present of the novel is a kind of crisis of faith about the academy and about like being an English professor but I think it's like there is a sort of past crisis that she went through that's like maybe implied or like hinted at that was like the loss of her actual faith right and so she Mm -hmm. kind of I think like you know you're given the sense that she had this background that she was very Christian like she thinks about you know she kind of thinks about the apocalypse in terms that are like derived from Christianity and you know she talks about the sort of pro-life stuff that she did as a child and so there was already kind of like one loss of faith and then like then she my my like what I would say is that then you can kind of see that then she turned to literature to kind of fill that gap or that hole and then that also is proving to be something that she feels like she can't hold on to Mm -hmm. in the same way or like there were fantasies about that that are like crumbling for her and so it's a kind of like double loss that she's going through yeah and I think it that, that's felt really keenly that sense of loss and for me the the faith that we talk about in terms of Dorothy's faith and was so fascinating in comparison to what she was going through and how she was it felt like she was still searching for something for that meaning in her mm-hmm. life um and I, I just thought it was just really wonderfully done like I I really enjoyed enjoyed is always a bad word (laughs) no I think enjoyed is good yeah Yeah, I think it's something that like I don't know how you guys were raised but I think like if you weren't really like raised with religion I think it's hard to understand what it means to live without it Mm. because it it, like it is kind of like I think well at least for me like for some people I think it's just a kind of like uh, slam the door like move on turn the page but I think if you do experience it as a loss there's really nothing else that's like it you know there's really like nothing else that like fits in that exact place that I wasn't raised religiously and um, I mean I was christened but they we weren't you know made to go to church all the time or anything like that it's never kind of been something we've been I was taught to do and so I read your novel and and whilst I was reading and 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 had seen you know the references I hadn't fully taken them in and yeah um my friend was around yesterday and I said oh you really need to like read this book um like I'll lend it to you when I've done this interview and um she had a quick flick through and um she was raised um Christian and it's been you know, a huge thing in her life. And she just read a couple of pages and she was like, 
God, there's a lot of references. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, okay, I need to pick this up and have another look back. <laughs> and she was like, well, you're not going to pick up on that. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's cool. I like, that's yeah. cool. It's like, the, there's like a code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just cool. interesting to see the kind of contrast between us. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of kind of like, oh, what's this to my religious friends? Like, yeah. have you heard oh, of this thing? And it was like, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, quite a bit from... Um, the bible from revelations yeah. in the bible yeah. and i was like oh that sounds interesting and like asked my friend who's very religious and was like um can you love bit more about this and then she started talking about it and i was like oh i love that yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that, that yeah. whole passage makes sense now yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah it gave us a whole new appreciation i think yeah. like for stuff that we just wouldn't have understood had it not That's been cool. for yeah, yeah. It's nice it opens yeah. Up that discussion as well. absolutely yeah yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, the Publishers Weekly um, mm-hmm. described your book as the glorious love child of Atessa Moshfeg and Sally Rooney. But what we <laughs> wanted to know <laughs> is which writers have inspired you and your work and your writing style? Well, I will say I really admire both Otessa Moshfeg and <laughs> Sally Rooney. So like that was like, I was like, great. I'd love to be a love child. Um, I don't know. That's such a hard question. I mean, like I, I like have my whole life is books and and reading I will say that when I was writing the book I did look a fair bit at um Dortha Norris do you know Dortha Norris and um, uh-huh. and I also really like Dag Solstad and like there's something so I really recommend the book Shyness and Dignity by Dag Solstad and like I just think about the way that he he goes so deep into consciousness and into minutiae and there's a teacher in that book too and like so I definitely would like kind of like look at that book shyness and dignity and see like how did he get from like one scene to the next mm. you know like kind of like studying those moves a little bit you're gonna yeah. know that down right now aren't you I, <laughs> yeah. I think as well because I mean tell me if I'm wrong but because you I think you think quite critically about books you think quite about the the structure of books the 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 way that books are novels are created and technically I think you look at that a lot I find that fascinating when people do that because I read I'm very much a reader of like I'm I'm not really an analytical reader emotional yeah I'm very emotional yeah Um, Yeah. and then and then I go back and then I can be objective about it yeah but I'm I totally can't do that when I'm reading I find it fascinating when people can think technically about books in that way yeah I mean ideally one would do both I think you know like you don't want to just be like a sort of algorithmic you know yeah but it does I mean it it is it is kind of interesting to like study those moves and be like okay like we're like how is time happening here you know because that's like one of the big questions about any novel it's like what do I do with time like how many days am I years is this like a lifetime story you know (laughs) does this all take place in one hour like I can it can really be anything and so to kind of like get straight what your relationship to time is going to be is I think like one of the big places you have to start finally I would just like to ask you my final question uh, which is what have you got in the pipeline please tell me you've got something cool coming up that I can read <laughs> oh that's um so I have written um there's a there's a series of short essay books that are published by um this press called fireflies and they're about they're each one is like one 
essay book about a film. Um, and they, they're doing one for every year of the 2000s. So Amazing. I have one that's going to be coming out, I think probably not until the spring, but it's about Chantal Ackerman's La Captive, which is her adaptation of Proust's The Prisoner. Um, wow. So it's like a short, it's a short little, little book, but it's, um, it's part of the Fireflies series. Amazing. Oh, oh, well. And as we, we usually forget, um, we just want to thank your productions for sending us our copies of The Life yeah. of the Mind. And um, listeners, if you haven't read The Life of the Mind yet, go and order it right now. <laughs> you won't regret it. Um, it is available in all good bookstores and um, yeah, it's published by your productions. Um, but finally, before we let you go, we always like to end on um, cultural recommendations. So Christine, is there anything that you've been enjoying recently please do let us know. Um, I have been listening to the You Must Remember This podcast. Um, so it's Love Karina Longworth does this film podcast called You Must Remember This. And it's amazing. She basically like researches and then reads these incredibly brilliant essays. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, though the season that I'm listening to now is on the erotic 80s. So it's like Ooh. films from the 1980s that sort of like push the envelope about sexuality in different ways. Oh, wow. Um and it's so fun and it's like a great thing to listen to. So I recommend that. Amazing. I love a podcast. I'm always looking for a new one. So I'm going to be yeah. all over that. Thank cool. you. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on to a pair of bookends, Christine. This um, was genuinely so fun. You guys are oh, amazing. Thank you for thank having you so me. much. Thank you. And uh, listeners, please do rate, review and subscribe as this helps to boost us in the charts. Can our listeners follow you anywhere, Christine? Not follow you in person. Let's not do that. (laughs) Um, I have a Twitter. Um, It's not very active, but I do have a Twitter. Uh, The name is Xteen Smallwood. Amazing. There's another Christine Smallwood who's also a writer. She writes about food. So like if you get to that person, that's that's not me. I that's don't not you. Yeah, so <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, but yeah, thank you so much. And um we hope you enjoyed this episode, listeners, yeah. and please stay tuned for our next book club pick. We don't sound like this. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs>